bark, and he's like, <laughs> Hi. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to History of Odds, guys. I am Carrie, as you know, and Laura's still on vacation. So we have our dear friend, Erin Bush, stepping in, and um, her co-host and assistant, Bernie. Yes. <laughs> the, be the Bean, you know, he's a very strict uh, time manager, so we'll see, you know, how long before he jumps in the screen. It's like, hey, mom, can we, yeah. like, do stuff? You guys so. are going over time. You're losing the audience. We gotta yeah. wrap this up. Yeah, we got we got stuff to do today. So yeah, he heard the barking in the pro in the intro, and he was like, whoop, whoop. so hence my weird face when we came on screen. That's so funny. That's funny. Um, also, also, can I just say before you start? Yeah. Like I know I've watched all, a gazillion episodes of this, but I am always impressed at the amount of places you guys have been to. It's just like. <laughs> one after the next and i recognize almost all of them all of them yeah Thank yeah them. i'm so, so many places i'm so excited i'm super excited about it all those pictures in the intro are ones that we've taken um <clears throat> and we have we actually have a ton more photographs of places since we created this intro a year and a half ago that we could right. create like four new intros um awesome. yeah because oh, yeah, you tala you've got i mean you've got yes I mean, clinic. all kinds that you can add in there that you, mm -hmm. wow. yeah so well, many. i'm already impressed i have lots of catching up to do yeah you have been to quite a few bucket list places um that we have on our bucket list um so erin why don't you um for folks that don't know who you are that have not seen me on andrea's show that you have guest hosted right why don't you let everybody know who is erin bush <laughs> a, a hot mess most of the time but uh great you fit in right you fit right in perfect yes the only thing i don't do is uh, is drink so we're gonna stick to the diet coke today i guess but um i'm aaron and i got into the paranormal field about geez 18 months ago i guess um mm -hmm. i work as andrea Perrin, one of her assistants so i get to do some traveling with her to events um, I also do, you know, a fair amount of admin work for her uh, mm -hmm. from home, which is nice. And I do some social media content creation for uh, a couple of YouTube shows for the, in the paranormal field. Cool. And um, I am a certified Reiki master. I am a crystal healer. So energy is my jam. Yes. So that's me in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. I have a husband and uh, we have Bernie the Bean, who is, uh, as previously stated, my boss. So yes. That's it. So he kind of runs you, Andrea, Roger. He's over all of you guys. That's how that hierarchy he's, goes. He's totally the boss bitch of everything. I mean, that's just the way it goes. He's 30 pounds, but he packs a wallop if you... <laughs> Between him and Princess Peter Buttercup, the, the three of you are in line. Absolutely. Our lives are run by dogs that are not even to our knees. I mean, basically, that's pretty much how this show Your is, life too. is run. <laughs> yes. Um, if it's not one of my dogs, it's Laura's dog or her cat jumping in on the desk, sticking his yes. butt in the camera. It's a whole thing. So It's a thing. It's a thing. Thank God we are in a field where it's okay for your dog to just pop in on your meetings or your shows. Right. It's like, oh, how cute. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um <laughs> Yes. So welcome. Thank you so much for um, jumping in. I did um, last week's episode, Spike Island, by myself. And I think I did a pretty good job. Uh, but it was weird because I didn't have dialogue and conversation. Yeah. And I've never. Banter. Yeah, I've never had an episode just by myself. It's never been just one host. Um right. 
So it was really, it was really bizarre, but um, I think I did okay. I'm just glad to have somebody, uh, you know, sitting next to me while we do this. Um, I'm it's much more used here. to that. Thank you. I'm honored. Yay. Thank you. I'm so glad. Me. Yay. All right. Well, um, you are familiar with the show. You know how we do before we started recording. I told you how it was going to go. So right now we're going to jump into our uh, endless vocal prattling, our EVPs, our <laughs> updates and announcements, as we call yeah. them. Um, so... One of the first things, guys, as always, we want to let you know and remind you and scream and shout it from the rooftops because we're super excited. We are going to be going to the Mansfield Parapsychon in um, Ohio at the Ohio State Reformatory. That is May, what, 19, 20, 20, something? I think so. Oh, shoot. Wait, oh, wait. Oh, no, that's March. I'm going to look it up. You know, I should write it down, damn it, but I don't. Yeah, 19, 20, and 21. Um, yeah, so we are going to be there all weekends. We're going to be there as vendors. Um, we have said it a thousand times before, but Andrea Perrin is going to be a, one of the celebrity guests there, guys. And do we know who else is going to be there, That I think you have a lot of the same folks that were there last year coming back. Um, mm, I haven't okay. seen the full lineup yet, so I'm, I'm going to guess neither. that maybe they're still trying to like, to divvy that up, but I know okay. Andrea's spoke about how much she loved that event because I feel like it's not very often that you get to have a a paracon like that in an actual location normally it's yes at a convention center or a hotel yeah. or, or whatever so to mm-hmm. be able to get to do an actual con for over a few days in the actual facility which that yes incredible so it's 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 apparently quite a thing and I am hoping to get to join you guys at that this year but um, yeah that would be so much fun. It's one of the events not to miss this year, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, Laura and I, when we were looking at photographs from last year's event, so like Aaron said, it is it is in the halls and the cell blocks of Ohio State Reformatory. So right. the one that we're in is the East Cell Block. Ooh. I think fun i think that's the one we're in um but we were looking at it and so like the vendor floors and tables and like the celebrity tables we're all there in the thick of the haunting the haunted hot spots of the penitentiary and god did it look fun i mean folks really go all out with their vendor tables there were all kinds of um, folks that were dressed up. There were it was it looked like so much fun. And of course, what attracted Laura the most was all the food trucks that were parked up front. I didn't know about the food trucks. That would be a selling point for me. Tacos, please tell me there's tacos. Sorry, Ta- there's tacos. There's a there's tacos. There's funnel cake. It's just it was it was insane. There were so many of them when we were looking last year. Last year's. Um, so when we were trying to decide if we wanted to apply for, you know, which ones we wanted to do this one, she was like, we got to do this one. And I was like, well, one, we have to do it because it's Ohio State Reformatory. And she was like, yeah, uh-huh, sure. But also look at all the food trucks. And, um, okay, sure. So we're really excited about it. You guys, we hope you come on out. It's going to be a really, really great time. There are a ton of different, in addition to the convention, there's a ton of different like ghost hunts and paranormal investigations that, we can do um and some of them have celebrity hosts with them so you can ghost hunt with i don't know if andrea signed up to do one but i know that I, you can't i don't book know she doesn't typically 
She doesn't typically yeah. do the investigations, on, but she may do call-ins with the UFOs. I'm not sure what she's doing with that. Ooh, that'd, yeah, that'd be, be cool. cool. That's that's cool too to be able to witness. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, the weekend before Memorial Day, 1920. 21 21 yeah 192021 20, Friday Saturday Sunday um and we will be there and um the closer it gets we'll let you know exactly where our booth is going to be we've got some really fun ideas um for you guys to come over and say hello we're going to be selling some history of haunting stuff and um yeah so I will get an overlay done for that for next week's show but for now just take me at my word without looking at a pretty picture <laughs> She's trustworthy. I swear to God, I am. <laughs> so I do have I a have picture. I have my merch. You do. And thank you for the fabulous, look at that, tank tops. Thank you for the fabulous segue. As a matter of fact, the merch pre-sale is back. So Erin got her tank top from the last one. Multiple sizes and colors to choose from. Shirts, men's shirts, women's shirts, hoodies, zip-up hoodies, tank tops, and sweatpants. Um... So, yeah, let's see. Let's play that one more time so you guys can find out. Is it going to play again? It's probably not going to play again. Look at how dumb that is. <laughs> Technology. Great. There we go. There it is. H-O-A-H-podcast.com slash shop. So we are running the, um, the pre-sale through December. Nope, not December. We are out of the end of the year. February 28th. <laughs> It's okay. It's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week. Um, so yeah, we're running it through uh, three days ago till February 28th. So come on over nice. to the podcast site. Um, pre-order. Grab your stuff. Grab your stuff. Um, we are getting it. Our vendor is local here to me in Raleigh. So I don't have to wait for them to make it and then ship it and then me ship it to you guys. I could just go pick it right up. And then the very next day we start packaging it and sending it out to everybody. So... And it's probably a local business too, which is great. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super cool. That. Yeah. Really easy. Um, really wonderful group of guys down there too. Um, so yeah, get your history of a haunting um, gear. A lot of you wanted to take part in it uh, the end of last year, but with the holidays, like we get it. And so you guys were hoping we'd bring it back and we have. So it's back. Yay. It's back. So that is what we have for our endless vocal prattling. Um, we are going to be doing now. This does sound a little mean, but um the location we're covering today is one of Laura's suggestions. <laughs> it's a great um, one, though. It it's is a great a one. Location. Yes, it is a great one. And when I told her that um, you were going to be filling in for her and what we were doing, she was like, oh, but I wanted to do that one. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, sorry, we've pushed it off for like two months. So we guys are going to be talking to you today about Easter Island and those little goofy guys that um, I actually had no idea anything about this. Um, I didn't, I just knew that they were the little goofy guys that were in Night at the Museum. You know, <laughs> that guy that, hey, dum dum, give me gum gum, that yes. guy? Yeah. Yes, that's great. That is my uh, extent of knowledge on it. Um, so, Laura, sorry that uh, we are doing this without you, even though it was your idea, but um, that'll teach you to go on vacation. So, pfft. Uh, I'll try and do it justice as best I can. It's so hard to step into that bitch's shoes. I swear to God. The research queen of the planet. 
you know? Right? It's difficult. It's difficult. So, Laura, hopefully, you know what? We do you justice. If not, then, again, don't go away. Come back. She can, she Stay. can shoot me later. Right. There we go. That's fine. Um, our sources uh, this week are mountainkingdoms.com, irishtimes.com, the planet D. This is all .com, guys, unless I say otherwise. Uh, the planet D. <laughs> um, imagine a Rapa Nui, Smithsonian Mag, and Easter Island .travel, all .com, and then whc.unesco.org. So let's... Uh, yeah, it's... Um, it, it's it's actually kind of fascinating. Um, there's a lot of mystery and kind of um, conspiracy theories, I guess, that maybe surround this island and these statues. And the crux of the story, guys, is basically um, these Polynesian tribes uh, landed on this island and they made it their home. And then in a very short amount of time, the island was dead and so were the tribes. Uh, so it's sort of like, what the hell happened <laughs> on this island? Right. And so we're here to tell you that story. Now, Easter Island might be one of the greatest mysteries um, of human civilization. I think a lot of people have it right up there with Stonehenge. And these statues are just unreal. Let me see if I can see. This is just a handful of statues, guys. Um, many theories have been formed over the years about where the original inhabitants came from, why they built hundreds of monumental statues called Moai, as you see below, and how they transported them and why the people who made them eventually died out. So despite scientific research and investigation over the years, there's still a lot that we don't know and right. or that science scientists don't know. We know even less. Right. Uh, here on the show. <laughs> but here's <laughs> here is what we do know through um, our research on Easter Island. And the first, I mean, spoiler alert, has nothing to do with Easter. Uh, <laughs> nothing to do with the, no baskets, no candy, no nothing. Nothing, nothing to do nothing. with peeps, nothing to do nope. with <laughs> cream eggs, none of it. Giant, giant statues. <laughs> so that's it. Yes. Most people have seen pictures of the massive stone statues known as Moai. And here's another one. They're all over this island. Um, they line the coastline. They were carved and placed by the inhabitants that were known as Rapa Nui. Uh, the conventional explanation of population decline of the Rapa Nui is that the islanders cut down all the island's trees, precipitating an ecological reaction that killed off most of the population. So the legend of the Rapa Nui goes like this. It's... Um, it tries to explain Easter Island's settlement. And it says that the Ariki, or the king, whose name was Hotu Matua, lived in a beautiful continent called Hiva. And one night in his dream, he received a message that his land would sink and that he needed to find a place um, to take his people. So following a wise seer's advice, Hotu Matua sent seven explorers toward the morning sun in search of favorable land to live and grow yams, which was a staple in their nutrition, which I thought was interesting. I was like, really? All right. Um, 
After several days of sailing, the seven explorers arrived on a small and uninhabited island that seemed fertile enough to live on. Now, it is said that besides yams, the explorers took a moai with them and a mother of pearl necklace, and that this was abandoned when they returned to Hiva, leaving behind on the island only one single explorer. So, sometime later, Hotu Matua arrived on the island in two great ships with his entourage, which consisted, everybody's got to have an entourage, which consisted of his wife, his sister, and another 100 people. Since then, the island has been called, okay, Aaron, please don't get mad at me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You're like, yes, I, I won't, I won't critique you for it. And I appreciate that. But the other Aaron, that broad is going to. The other EKB is going to. So Aaron, please don't write this down. Okay. So since then, the island has been called Tepito Ote Henua. Oh, hey, I might have done that good. Nailed it. Nice. Yay. Um, Which basically means the world's navel. Now, that doesn't sound lovely, but what do I know? Um. (laughs) Well, in Florida, navel, you think orange is first. So in my brain, that's like, oh, that sounds nice. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. See, I'm thinking belly button. Uh, (laughs) So... This legend is the reason why some readers say that when Hotu Matua arrived on Easter Island, it was already inhabited and that he found yams and several standing Moai statues. Some believe that the seven explorers represent the seven generations or tribes that inhabited the place, of which only one survived and mixed with the people of Hotu Matua's. So these seven explorers are represented by the seven moai that are found in the Ahu Akivi. So let me take a look. Which picture? Which picture is that? Oh, it's this one. These are the statues of the seven that are supposed to represent the seven um, explorers. Now, these statues are located, like I said, in Ahu Akivi. It is located on the southwest flank of the Mount. Oh, here we go. Maunga Teravaka volcano. And that is the highest point on Easter Island. It's about 2.6 kilometers inland from the central west coast, which, by the way, when I was um, writing the research, because I wrote the script for Aaron and I, I converted meters and kilometers later on, but not on this one part. So you guys can do the Deal conversion it, right? yourself because we don't do metrics here. <laughs> That's what the Google machine is for. That's exactly what it's right for. Right in. Yes. So um, it's interesting because these statues present a careful uniformity between them. And that's actually something that does not occur in the other areas of the island with the rest of the statues. Um, Like, for example, like this picture I just showed, like they're just kind of all over. Right. Right? Um, But these seven statues give the, like the, a sense of harmony and balance among among them they're evenly spaced they're the same height and this is all very important i know it doesn't seem like it right now guys but trust us it it is also my dogs are barking at something (laughs) it's okay mine will do it too it's fine oh great we're gonna have all of them going we're just gonna bark all up in your show basically yes and i've got the door shut and the lights off like go downstairs um 
So it's said that the Moai of Ahu Akivi are the only statues that look at the sea on the whole island. So all of the other statues, let me see if I've got for sure, like these pictures, like they're all looking in, like they're all looking out toward the ocean and the sea. Right. The rest of these statues. Let me see. We have this one. Oh, yeah. They're all looking out toward the sea, except for these seven. These, um, it is said that the Moya of Ahu Akivi are the only statues that look um, at the sea of the whole island since the rest turn their back on the ocean. So these turn their back to the ocean. So these seven are looking over the island. Um, they were placed like the others to watch over and protect the inhabitants of the village through the influence of their mana or their mystical power. That's one of the beliefs of how they were, how it was decided that they were going to like be where they were ended up being placed. Um, now there's more to that. And I don't know, I think it might, it might be in your part. Wait, let's see. Might be in your part. Um, so there are other platforms. They sit on what they're, what are called platforms. There are other platforms along the Island, including the lone Moai of the Ahu Uri, Oh, here we go. Ahu Huri, Ayurenga, and the Ahu Akivi. Hey, goodness. This, oh, it's my part. <laughs> the Ahu Akivi was built following a precise astronomical orientation. And I don't mean like vastly huge, and I mean like the stars, astronomy. Um, in this way, they controlled the change of the seasons and the most appropriate times for agricultural tasks. So it's almost like they were placed where they were based on the sun's position in the sky, the way it rose, the way it set right. to help them farm. So sure. here, the axis of the platform of these seven was oriented from north to south, getting the faces of the Moai to look exactly at the point where the sun sets during the equinox of spring and their backs face the sun of the dawn during the autumn equinox. It's utterly fascinating, especially it when is. you consider how long ago this island was fully populated. Right. Yeah. Right. So Easter Island, which is, oh, here's where I converted it to miles, 15 miles long <laughs> by 10 miles wide, was named by Dutch navigator Jacob Rogovin. We're going to go with that. And he oh, landed God. here on the island on Easter Sunday of 1722, which is why it gets the name Easter Island. Um, it's located in the South South Pacific, and it is one of the most isolated inhabited islands in the world. So there are still people that live on the island. Um, the nearest inhabited island is Pitcairn Island, which was colonized by the Bounty Mutineers hundreds of years ago. And that is the closest one at 1,252 miles away. Chile... Crazy is more than 1,864 miles away. So it is a very, very tiny, tiny remote island. Yeah. Um, now, the native Polynesian inhabitants arrived from other islands around the year 1200 AD and established a thriving culture, um, as evidenced by 
over 800 of these statues, these moai that were carved between the year 1400 and 1650. Um, the moai statues range in height from six and a half feet to 65 feet, each weighing several tons. So think about that for a minute, how that was even done in 1400 at all all, with just chisels because they found like they found chisels and they found like some tools, but like, that's it. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Um, they come commem- and they are designed, believed to commemorate ancestral high chieftains of the Rapa Nui. Now, when you first see a Moai statue in person, like on the island, you are drawn to its disproportionately large head compared to its body length. And that is why they are commonly called Easter Island heads. They are, in fact, one of the most fascinating archaeological sites to see. However, I do want to say, and I did fail to put this in the the notes and in the pictures, but a lot of them, I wonder if you can kind of see, maybe in here, well... So here is another set. And on these, they the tops are, are meant, they believe, are meant to represent, like, the chieftain's hair. But you can kind of uh, see on the back of some of them that they have carvings as well. Like, it's not just heads. They have shoulders. They have a trunk. You know, they have arms, arms, the whole nine. And they are also, I wonder, is it this picture that maybe... I, I, sorry guys, I really should have put this in here, but essentially these heads have a body underneath the ground. Right. Like they go down under the ground and like like their head may be here, but their body is, yeah, super deep with even more, more carvings and stuff like that um, on them. So like I said, they're one of the most fascinating archaeological sites to see. And we did get to see one of them, I believe. Um, cause they're not all the exact same, like head, they're different. We did get to see one of them at the British museum when Laura and I were there with the kids in October. They That's have so one awesome. at the British museum. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So, that is really cool. Yeah. That is super cool. Um, the Moai were carved in inland quarries and moved to the coast, often miles away. There are several proposals to explain how the Moai were moved. The, I find this whole part fascinating. Right. <laughs> Because I've seen shows about it and, you know, like the kind of like, how did they build Egypt? So right. Similar kind of fascination. Like there right. had to be UFOs involved, but that's a whole Who show. was the poor um, dude that schlepped those blocks up the top of the pyramid? No kidding, right? You never had to worry about gaining weight when you were lugging these things around. Um, so, but there's several proposals to explain how this happened. So the most popular involved uh, wooden logs. So the statues were either moved along on top of rolling logs or pulled on wooden sleds by ropes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Right? No thanks. Um, Another ingenious proposal is that the statues walked from the quarries to their coastal destinations, being rocked from side to side by islanders, pulling on ropes attached to the statues' heads, which I've seen recreated. Okay. It's wild to watch them do that. You know, when they've done all this research, to watch them uh, actually play this out really i have a feeling bernie's about to start barking so heads up y'all of course he was quiet until my there we go he's all right bernie sing me the song of your people let's go he's gonna do the rest of this everybody sit back let's just listen (laughs) 
Oh, my neighbor's dogs are outside, so Bernie, okay. stop. I don't have anywhere to put him. Our place is really small. Oh, that's so okay. I'll try to keep reading. I'll try to keep getting through this, even though he's barking. Um. So basically, they- <laughs> we can pause it. Okay. I'm gonna get up. Go. You're good. So, so yeah. So basically, they're talking about walking these statues to their destinations from side to side by Islanders. Um, so it's kind of like moving an upright fridge as Carrie brilliantly. Okay. Visual, which I love. So I, I've done that. Like if we like order like a piece of furniture, especially when we moved in, we ordered furniture Mm -hmm. to put together and we'd have to drag it in and we'd have to be like, Oh, it's too heavy to lift or carry or drag or put, we would just kind of like, er, er, yep. er, Yep. Kind of. Okay. I got it. Yep. Sounds like a similar kind of thing. Um, as the first European visitor to the island in 1722, Jacob, I'm going to try this right, Ragavine reported in his ship log of people praying to the statues. Uh, only he has ever reported on someone praying to the statues, which would suggest that the statues were revered until the Europeans came. Okay. Weird. Said no one ever. Uh, <laughs> though it was common all over the island to recycle pieces of old statues when building the new ones. Um, this seemingly means that the Moais were not seen as holy anymore when the person it represented had been forgotten. Which makes, yeah, which makes a lot of sense as well. Like if, especially yep. if they were, um, if they were being colonized and new ways were being introduced, then old ways there goes were lost. All their yeah. Old stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the initial population increased rapidly and it reached a peak of 3,000 to 4,000 inhabitants Uh, around 1350 and remaining fairly stable until the Europeans arrived. But by 1877, the population had decreased to 111 people. And so what caused such a dramatic decline? That is Uh, a lot. That is. Yeah, that's quite a bit, you know, small by today's standards. But of course, when you're looking at people on the planet (laughs) now, that's like an astronomical number, right? Yeah. (laughs) We're all dying off. (laughs) Right. Sky is falling. Sky is falling. So, <laughs> so East Island was covered with palm trees for over 30,000 years, but is absolutely treeless today. There's huh. good evidence that the trees largely disappeared between 1200 and 1650. Uh, assuming that wood was used to move the statues, a popular proposal was formulated that the islanders, besotted with their moai, cut down all the palm trees in order to move the statues. I find that interesting. That'd be a hell of a move in like Roblox or something. Um, right. Eventually, random. I squirrel a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's not away. Eventually, the giant palm trees that the Rapa Nui depended on dwindled. Many trees had been cut down to make room for agriculture. Others had been burned for fire and used to transport statues across the island. The treeless terrain eroded nutrient-rich soil, and with little wood to use for daily activities, the people also turned to grass. By the time Dutch explorers arrived on Easter Day in 1722, the land was nearly barren. Wow, okay. Right? Although these events are generally accepted by the scientists, the date of the Polynesians' arrival on the island and why their civilization ultimately collapsed is still being debated. Mm. Many experts maintain that the settlers landed around 800 AD. They believe the culture thrived for hundreds of years, breaking up into settlements and living off the fruitful land. According to this theory, the population grew to several thousand, freeing some of the labor force to work on the Moai. But as the trees disappeared and people began to starve, warfare broke out among the tribes. As is want to happen. Would be expected, right? Right. But new findings by archaeologist Terry Hunt of the University of Hawaii may indicate a different version of events. 
In 2000, he and others began excavations at, and I looked this up, uh, Anakena. Okay. Say it. Okay. Anakena, a white sandy beach on the island's northern shore. The researchers believed Anakena would have been an attractive area for the Rapa Nui to land, and therefore maybe one of the earliest settlement sites. Okay. In the top several layers of the excavation pit, the researchers found clear evidence of human presence, charcoal, tools, even some bones, uh, which apparently had come from rats. Yeah. And then under, eh, right? Everywhere. You can't escape, even on an island that no. remote. They still have rats. Damn it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath that, they found soil that seemed absent of human contact. So this point mm-hmm. of first human interaction, they figured, would tell them when the first Rapa Nui had arrived on the island. Okay. I find all that fascinating. Utterly, right? Utterly the, fascinating. Soil samples and everything that you can ascertain that much information is just astounding to me. <laughs> and as, what was it, Jesse from Breaking Bad, he would say, yeah, science. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, science, bitch. <laughs> science, bitch. Um, hunt some- <laughs> so hunt the samples from the dig to a lab for radiocarbon dating, expecting to receive a date up around 800 AD and keeping with what other archaeologists had found. Instead, the samples dated to around 1200 AD. This would mean the Rapa Nui arrived four centuries later than actually expected. The deforestation would have happened much faster than originally assumed, and the human impact on the environment was fast and immediate. Also not surprising, I guess. I mean, it's not like you have grocery stores things from, so, you know. Right, exactly. And there's nothing, right, there's no other countries, like, bringing supplies and things to you once you've got... No trade. Once it's gone, it's gone. Correct. Yeah. Right. Um, Hunt suspected that humans alone could not destroy the forest this quickly. In the sands layers, he found a potential culprit, a plethora of rat bones. Scientists have long known that when humans colonized the island, so too did the Polynesian rat. Having hipster ride either as stowaways or sources of food. God, I hope it was stowaways. No kidding, right? (laughs) However, they got to Easter Island. The rodents found an unlimited food supply in the lush palm trees, believes Hunt, Mm. who bases this assertion on an abundance of rat gnawed palm seeds. Okay. Well, okay. There's that, right? Yeah. So under these conditions, he says, quote, rats would reach a population of a few million within a couple of years, unquote. Oh From God. there, time would... I know, right? Can you imagine? That's no. way too many rats. The rats ate it. Ever. They ate the people. They ate the wood. <laughs> they ate, the they ate it all. They That's ate the problem. Everything. The rats. They were giant, huge rats. They were probably also 5,000 moai, but they ate all of those and just left eight or 900 of them. <laughs> they couldn't move anymore, so they, you know, they just... That was it. Full of stone. That's it. What's left is left. They're the moai. They're just fat stone rats. <laughs> My God. All right, sorry to shit, shit on a belief of a wonderful group of Polynesian folk. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I doubt they listen to this podcast, but... Right. But, it, you know, it is interesting because you don't really think of... I think a lot of times in a situation when you're dealing with such a remote island... Yeah. I think our brains automatically assume that people were already always there. You, you don't really necessarily factor in how did the original inhabitants actually get there. Right. Especially exactly. this long ago because... You're not thinking boats is, you know, especially if you're talking your closest island is, is 1,000 to 1,800 miles away. Right. You're and not really thinking that people are traveling that far. Even in 1,200, it still seems so, if, if you're not like a major, you know, 
country, like a European country, Rome, or, you know, any of these that could actually, yeah, it's a whole thing. We could have a whole episode on just that. You could. I mean, because how do you fund that? Right. What do you fund it with? I mean, you know, it's, it it is, it's a whole nother thing to think about how in these remote islands, how they got Mm -hmm. to begin with. So the rat thing is interesting because again, you would assume people were always there. You would assume that rats were always there, but no, those little assholes showed up when humans brought them over. Right. Talking about, it's about to, it's just going to get worse too, because I know it's going to get worse. Yeah. Humans always bring the bad. (laughs) We screw up everything. We do. We really do. We do. So. We're talking about rats taking over and being in the millions within a couple of years. So obviously from there, time would take its toll. Right. Rats would have, in here quotations, rats would have an, an initial impact eating all of the seeds. With no new regeneration, as the trees die, deforestation can proceed slowly, end quote, he says. Adding that people cutting down trees and burning them would have only added to the process. So eventually the degeneration of trees, according to his theory, led to the downfall of the rats and eventually of the humans. The demise of the island, says Hunt, quote, was a, a synergy of impacts, but I think it is more rat than we think, end quote. Hunt's findings cause a stir among Easter Island scientists. John Flenley, a pollen analyst, accepts that the numerous rats would have had some impact on the island. Quote, whether they could have just deforested the entire place, he says, I'm not sure, unquote. And I'm not really Flenley sure about is- that either. Yeah, I don't know. But millions of them as opposed to a few thousand people, maybe. I mean, uh, think about the damage rats caused when the plague, the bubonic plague started. How does that spread? Rats. You know, I mean, I, it does, I, I guess on some level, it makes more sense to me to think that they did have a bigger impact. That they but, you could. know, you combine the two. Yeah. And it's a very it's, small island. It's not, you know. It's 10 by 15, right? Miles? Yeah. That's I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have nothing else coming in. So, it, I mean, it had to Maybe. be one way or another. Right. Wasn't wasn't rats. It had been something else. True. Um, well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm just squirreling all over the place. Uh, <laughs> focus, Aaron. Focus. Okay. So, Flenley had taken core samples from several lake beds formed in the island's volcanic craters. And in these cores, he has found evidence of charcoal. So... Certainly there was burning going on. Sometimes there was a lot of charcoal, he said. I'm inclined to think that the people burning the vegetation was more destructive than the rats. That's kind of what I think, too. Yeah. I mean, okay, so say the rats were like, the rats are eating the palm seeds, okay? They're cutting the trees down. No trees are growing because they're cutting them all down and they're burning them. And then the rats are eating the seeds. Well, so maybe they were like equal parts guilty. Well, you know, with the deforestation side of it, with the burning, I mean, at least with the rats, if they're eating the seeds, it's coming back out and fertilizing the land. So in theory, they should be true on some level repopulating the trees as they go. But sounds to me like maybe the the burning and the deforestation by the humans had a bigger impact because, you know, can't do anything once you burn it. For sure. Yeah, for sure. You poop it out. And at least the then they're like, yeah, the then you could be fertilized. That's true. It, you know, huh. I don't know. I know. So adding to the civilization's demise, European explorers bought with them Western diseases like syphilis and smallpox. Thanks for that, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So no food, no tree, syphilis and smallpox. I don't think I wanted to live in Easter Island back then. Mm -mm. Nope. (laughs) Um, So Flynnley said, I think that the collapse happened shortly before European discovery of the island. 
but it could be that the collapse was more of a general affair than we think, and the Europeans had an effect on finishing it off. Colonization, the introduction of livestock, the confinement of the original inhabitants to smaller areas, the dramatic effect of foreign diseases, and above all, slavery reduced the population of Rapa Nui to little more than 100. Currently, mm -hmm. the island is inhabited by descendants of the ancient Rapa Nui, as well as immigrants from diverse backgrounds, accounting for a significant mixed population. Scientists may never find a conclusive answer to when the Polynesians colonized the island and why the civilization collapsed so quickly, whether an invasive, invasive species of rodent or humans devastated the environment. Easter Island definitely remains a cautionary tale for the world. I agree. I think it's, it's fascinating. so fascinating. I think it's so fascinating. I need to know more about the Moai and how they were carved and like what do they really mean? What do they stand for? What exactly, exactly. do they represent? Exactly. Because the way that you know. they're so I mean like I get how <clears throat> when people, you know, were sailing the oceans, they were using the night sky to guide them and to, to navigate and but it just seems so specific where these statues were placed. And right the way they faced and it, I don't know. It's, it's very much like Stonehenge, just real. Yeah. Well, are real. they like markers for something? Right. Or, you know, could they be like they were, you know, like you were saying, if they line up astrologically somehow, are they pointing to something specific as it pertains to the sky? Are they directly placed under certain constellations as they appeared to them like that's what's so interesting is it's exactly like, there was clearly a point because these are not easy things to put together now of course in our world now you could 3d print 3d print these bitches like right like nothing you know and, and just stick them everywhere move them around if you don't like them right right with wheels and yes. stuff yeah cranes and shit but you know so to have put that much effort in to build them to move them mm -hmm. to align them so, well, to us, it seems haphazard, but clearly it's not. I mean, we right. know enough about the ancient world and history that yeah. early peoples didn't place things randomly, you know, Nazca lines, and right. Jesus, pyramids of Egypt, take your pick. Yeah. So it, that I think is what's so interesting is, is it meant so much to them yeah. and to not be able to figure out exactly what that purpose is, is frustrating. Yeah. Like now I'm frustrated. Right. Now we need to find out now more. Now I just want the answers. Now we need to go. All right, field trip guys, we're going to Easter Island um, to get to the bottom of this and talk to the Rapa Nui ancestors. Uh, yeah, I love it. This was a good one, Laura. Good job. Good job. Um, I excellent research. I hope, I know I stumbled over a couple of things. But, no, you did great. But here we are. You did great. You know, normally I do a show and it's, I'm just winging it anyway. I don't, I don't have to yeah. uh, read anything. So this was fun and I love history. So I think good to be able to dive in stuff like this is really really awesome to be able to yeah that's wonderful yay well you did an excellent job um we may have aaron back next weekend we are not sure laura is um taking a much needed uh vacation she's got a lot of stuff and things on her plate so yep. um the podcast is always going to be here so we just said why don't you take a little tiny break um yep. I'll talk to her. I'll find out. Um, she, so Aaron may be with us next week. And you know what? I, I learned early on in the show not to announce what we're covering because that could quickly change. Um, yes, of course. Yeah. But let me see. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. That'd probably be a good one, too. Um, I'll tell you when we quit recording. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Aaron may be with us for another week. and um, But Laura may be back. I don't know. It's all a surprise here, guys. It's constant surprises here at History of Haunting. Um, it does. We don't want to get boring and like stale. Um, <laughs> so to that end, guys, you guys can go ahead and follow us if you choose to do so on Instagram, Facebook, and the TikTok, all at H-O-A-H podcast. And then um, you can follow Laura and I at H-O-A-H Carrie and at H-O-A-H co-host Laura on the TikTok and uh yeah thanks so much for tuning in thanks so much for giving aaron such a warm warm welcome uh another island episode god we've been doing a lot of them we did hawaiian islands then we did spike island and now we're doing easter island um and a lot of ekbs and aaron's are um all up in your face right now. Hosting like guest hosting. vacation. That's I like, think that's what I'm trying to put out into the world. The universe is telling you to go to the beach. Probably I mean, down to St. Augustine where she has a free place to stay. Probably. That's probably exactly where I know. I know someone. Go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Um, anyway. All right, guys. As we like to say here uh, at History of a Haunting, stay safe out there because you never know who or what is listening. And Aaron, uh, you are welcome back anytime. You did such a fabulous job. And I'm very, very grateful. So thank you. Thanks so much. for having me. It was an honor to be here. All right. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs>